a s'more with uh, more wine and music podcast. The podcast where I talk about the history of American music while drinking a sip of wine. So I wanted to say welcome. This is season one, episode one. I um, want to dedicate this season to the one person in my life who was an avid blues fan and also a blues player. He played the guitar and that is for my dad. So this is for you, daddy. I know you are hearing me in spirit. So you are here with me in spirit and I know you would be proud. So today is my first episode. I am excited. Um, I'm a music uh, lover. Um, It's in the blood on both sides of my family. Both of my family have some type of music um, talent, either by voice or by instrument or by both. So this is going to be one of the type of podcasts that I'm going to really enjoy doing. All right. Um, I would like everyone to subscribe to the podcast on all platforms that are available, Spotify, iTunes, iHeart, Spreaker, and it's um, called More, and that's More as in my last name, More, M-O-O-R-E, Wine and Music. That's More Wine and Music Podcast. So I hope you will enjoy and follow because I hope to bring um, some history to various genre um, of American music. All right. So without further ado, I thought it would be appropriate to talk about the earliest uh, artists and how did blues get started um, from the beginning. So in this first episode, I'll be talking about the true story of the origination of blues and the father of its inception, who was uh, W.C. Handy. In 1903, a black man was sitting at a train depot in Tutwiler, Mississippi, waiting for the next train out of town. While lying across the bench trying to take a nap before the train arrives, he heard a sound of a guitar playing behind him. He sat up and looked around, And according to his biography, quote, a lean, loose-jointed Negro had commenced to plunking a guitar beside me while I slept. His clothes were rags. His feet peeped out of his toes. I'm sorry, peeped out of his shoes. His face had on it some sadness of the ages. As this gentleman played, he pressed the knife on the strings of a guitar in a manner popularized by Hawaiian guitarists who use steel bars. The effect was unforgettable. So was the song, which struck me instantly. The name of the song was Going Where the Southern Crossed the Dog. The singer repeated the line three times accompanying himself on the guitar with the weirdest music I ever heard, unquote. The man who listened to this type of music while waiting for his train to arrive was William Christopher Handy, or 
more known as W.C. Handy. After hearing the weird song from the gentleman at the train depot, W.C. Handy was so intrigued with that sound of guitar playing that he decided to record the song he was playing. He later renamed it, quote, Yellow Dog Blues, unquote. From that point, W.C. Handy was known as the father of blues. And it's always been a speculation of who was that person that was playing that guitar that W.C. Handy heard at the train depot on that fateful evening in 1903. And if anybody out there listening who might have an idea or have speculation who might have been, I was, I, mean, I would like to hear. I mean, the person was not really known. I don't know if it's just somebody just locally who was just playing the guitar at that time or you know, there's been speculations. People have said it was, I don't know. I don't I'm, I don't know why the name Henry Sloan is coming up for some reason. Maybe I read it somewhere, but I don't know. If anybody have any inkling of who that would have been, um, please let me know. But anyway, whoever it was, the man that was playing that guitar, he was the catalyst that began, that began the genre known as the blues. But to go back, who was William Christopher Handy? Well, to acknowledge that he was known as the father of blues, we have to go back to the beginning. William Christopher, or W.C. Handy, was born on November 16, 1873 in Florence, Alabama. Born to the parents of former slaves, Elizabeth Brewer, and Charles Bernard Handy. And this is according to biography.com. His father and grandfather were both Methodist ministers. W.C. showed a love for music and wanted to pursue his music. His maternal grandmother supported him and learned to play an instrument. However, his, I'm sorry, his um, father was opposed to his son playing a, what we call they call it secular music. Um, back then, it was known as the devil's music. <laughs> Anybody who didn't play gospel or anything um, and played anything with harmonica or guitar back in those days, especially in the black community, it was known as the devil's music. So despite W.C.'s father's objections to his son listening to the devil's music, he did, however, agree to pay for organ lessons. He was probably thinking that his son would play the organ in the church. But W.C. was steadfast in learning and playing the secular music. In 1892, he went to the Teachers Agricultural and Mechanical College in Huntsville, Alabama. He became a teacher all the while pursuing his first love of music. In 1892 also, this was actually before he went to, um, became a teacher. In 1892, Handy formed a quartet called the Lausette Quartet. He started to 
He started the quartet to perform at the Chicago World's Fair. However, when the World's Fair was postponed, he had to disband the quartet. He went to St. Louis and decided to stay there afterwards after the World's Fair was um, postponed. While living in St. Louis, he experienced poverty and homelessness. Even though all through these challenges, he believed in the vision of creating a renowned band. He went to, um, after leaving St. Louis, he decided to make his way to Kentucky, where he was offered a opportunity to play at an upscale um, venue um, where he, um, it was in Henderson City. And this was for the upper class whites that lived there. So he was hired to play and perform for them. And during one of those performances, he met Elizabeth Virginia Price, who later became his wife in July 19 of 1896. Shortly after his marriage to Miss Virginia in August, Handy was offered to play in a minstrel show. And a side note, for those who don't know what minstrel shows were, back in the day, um, they were essentially white performers who would put on blackface. And in not only white performers, there were a lot of um, black performers too, and they would travel and perform these musical skits that kind of depicted um, the life, quote unquote, life of a typical, typical black person. And it's usually made, you know, it's, it was done out of um, mockery and degrading of African-Americans. But Handy was offered the opportunity to join these type of shows, and he did. He accepted it. This um, particular show was the um, Mahara Minstrels. That was the uh, minstrel show that he joined and did performances throughout different cities. Even though he knew the history and its implications of you know minstrel shows, he saw that as an opportunity, you know, to perform and make money. Handy and his wife traveled to Chicago so that he can became, become part of the group. Mahara's minstrel shows paid $6 per week, and he traveled throughout the country for about three years. As we can imagine, traveling from place to place doing shows can be demanding and stressful, but imagine performing and your spouse is traveling with you. The constant traveling caused a strain on Handy's marriage. Miss Elizabeth was getting tired of it. So after performing in Cuba, the group had scheduled dates in the North. Handy and his wife was able to stop in Huntsville, Alabama, and being so close to his hometown of Florence, they went there and spent time with family. 
According to the University of Alabama biography, Miss Elizabeth gave first to their first child of six. So they had a total of six children um, in Florence. Also while in Florence, this is where Handy was offered and he accepted a teaching job at the uh, Agricultural and Mechanical College in Normal, Alabama. While there, he discovered that the college didn't have any type of uh, curriculum for students to learn about American music. Rather, the music um, studies that they did offer were more focused on classical style music. And the college pretty much regarded American music as substandard or inferior. I suspect they were referring to styles like ragtime and blues, which was pretty popular at that time. But the college, you know, wouldn't consider having that style of um, music as a curriculum for students to study. After a while of teaching, um, Handy became kind of disillusioned from that. And I think he and the director of the college, they had uh, had some disagreements. So Handy decided to just resign from his position. And he rejoined the Mahara Minstrel Group and began performing on the road again. In 1903, he was given an opportunity to direct a Black band called the Knights of Pythias. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Pythias, which was in Clarksdale, Mississippi. And he did well by being the director of that band. He remained in that position for six years. Handy and his band eventually moved to Memphis, Tennessee, and was one of the first performers that established Beale Street, the famous Beale Street, where a lot of performers, artists, blues artists, performed on that particular uh, street in Memphis. Handy gained experience over the years watching the audience's reaction while performing, and he noticed how white audience react to the sound of the Black artists when playing thus dubbing the music as the blues. He published his song Memphis Blues in 1912. And in 1914, he wrote and published his famous song to date, St. Louis Blues. As Handy began to achieve popularity in the 20s and 30s, he started his own publishing company and was doing well by gathering and publishing songs from early Black artists. It was during this time in the 20s and 30s that he was um, suffering some vision loss. Um, it was, he had vision problems as a child. I guess he, he was, his eyes were sensitive perhaps to light. And so he's he had that type of um, pro- problem throughout his life. But I guess during the 20s and 30s with the stress of being on the road, it started to catch up with him. So the loss of his vision was becoming more apparent. In 1943, um, 
he suffered a he suffers an accident in which he fell um on a sub near the subway or something and i think he, he lost his balance and fell and from that um he became totally blind In 1937, Miss Elizabeth, his beloved wife, um, had passed away. I couldn't find the um, cause of what was the cause of death. So I'm, I'm not sure what happened, but um, she passed away in 1937. And he remarried um, shortly thereafter to his new wife, and his new wife was named Irma Louise Logan. In 1954, W.C. Handy suffered a stroke. He was 80 years old in 54 and had to be confined to a wheelchair. He was honored at the Waldorf Astoria for his work. In 1941, The Father of Blues, which was um, his biography, was published. He died in um, 1958 from pneumonia at the age of 84. Uh, He's buried at the Woodlawn Cemetery in Bronx, New York. During his lifetime, W.C. Handy was the foundation and the headway for Black music artists to take their music that was created from the pain and emotions that they all suffered and made it a genre that will forever be a part of the fabric of American history. So that was uh, pretty much the biography of uh, the father of blues, W.C. Handy. I wanted to source my uh, material. Um, I pretty much um, received most of the uh, material from biography.com and also from University of Alabama. Um, They had a nice uh, biography about him as well. So I wanted to thank you for listening to this short uh, little speck of history. Um, I hope this will kind of give you guys some intriguement to stay tuned because I will be featuring other artists within the blues genre for season one. Um. If you would like, I would please implore you to smash that subscribe button and to share this podcast with any other um, friends and family who are interested in um, music and particularly interested in learning about the blues. Next week or next episode, I want to um, feature an early blues artist called, um, his name was Blind Lemon Jefferson. I'm sure people who are music lovers or or blues lovers will probably recognize that that artist. So I will be talking about him. And if you have an artist that you would like me to um, feature and talk about, visit my website at www.morewineandmusic.com and leave a comment and a suggestion. And um, I will do the best that I can to feature that particular artist because there are a lot of 
blues artists that are pretty much unknown that has really uh, made an impact on the um, blues genre. So, but I wanted to kind of start from the very earliest that I can go back, which was, um, you know, early the turn of the 20th century, as far as um, the blues concerned. So, you know, I've been um, looking at a lot of documentaries about, you know, these artists that came, you know, a lot of them came were like second generation out of slavery. So you can imagine the emotions and the pain that they suffered, you know, just being in that era because a lot of them came from dirt poor, deep south, down in the Delta. Most of them were sharecroppers. So, yeah, they had a lot to sing about as far as the blues because it gives me the blues just reading about it. All right. So once again, thank you for the listening to my first podcast episode of More Wine and Music. And stay tuned for the next time. I appreciate it. Thank you.